And APB, American Protection Bureau, voted number one best on Long Island for all your security needs. Call 631-390-9050. That's 631-390-9050. APB. You need a body shop? You need engine repair? Auto Excellence. Collision Specialists. 631 631- Two six one six four two zero. That's six three one two six one six four two zero. Auto Excellence. Jimmy, I gotta take a dump. What? No. I mean, I need a dumpster. <sighs> well, for all those needs, you need to call Big V Dumpster Rental, Long Island, New York. Six three one nine hundred dump. Elm Logistics, for all your logistic needs, call 631-299-3595. That's 631-299-3595. Elm Global Logistics, pride, performance, and partnerships. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the, well, the first edition of the newly rebranded Wrestling Remembered. This is ESO, and I'm here along with What A Day Joe Lowry and the player Benny Scala. All right. What a day. What a day. What's going on, guys? Recovering from Thanksgiving. That's what's going on. Absolutely. I agree. Oh, yeah. What a week it's been. So, uh, Benny, what, what do you got for us? I mean, as far as a joke, well, yeah. it's really not a joke. I got a, I got a new girlfriend. You know, one catch though, she's uh, she's hooked up to a machine that keeps her alive. <laughs> the refrigerator. Whoa! There we go. Bada bing! All right, gotta love that one. Ouch. Dinner show starts at seven. There you go. Tip your waiters and waitresses. Exactly. Yeah. If you don't know who that is, that is the Man of a Thousand podcast. That's Benny Scala. Man, Benny. Hardest working man in podcasting. You, you really are. How many how many shows are you up to now? I'll do five this week. Yeah, I'm a regular on five different shows. Nice. I want to know who your agent is. I want to talk to him. Yeah, I'm getting paid in Panera bread coupons, so that's the only problem. <laughs> and then we Not have, even a hot dog and a handshake. And then we have the newest member of the Wrestling Remembered cast. We have What A Day Joe. Joe, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about you yourself and plug your podcast. Well, yeah. Well, I'm What A Day Joe. I'm a Boston transplant, now living in small town Centerville, Iowa. I have a podcast called uh, um, What A Day in Centerville. I kind of touch upon a lot of entertainment, maybe some wrestling. There will be a big surprise tonight on my show. I go live at 7 o'clock Central Time on facebook and youtube and we got the twin bill baseball podcast with the player as well and of course the one i'm most excited on the new uh contestant on monty and the pharaohs the 30 i'm gunning for that title tomorrow oh, yeah. i so can't wait to get over there so very competitive let's talk about that the number one wrestling game show is on the monty and the pharaoh channel it's on at 8 p.m every thursday and it features the player what a day phil de Cesare and me and the host is michael hey. monty <laughs> yeah so right now phil is the champ we're coming after him Every week, we're gunning. we're gunning for him. Yeah, every week Mike comes up with some interesting questions, and we have to come up with some unique answers. Yep, that's a great format. I love the format. You don't see that, so yeah, you know. And if anybody try that, just you know, 
somebody gives you a subject totally out of the blue and all of a sudden you have to think and process that and come up with a 90 second promo yeah that's not easy yeah no. i hear you no but it's fun every week we seem to be getting but better it is better. fun yes better and better at it and sometimes you have to pull stuff out of nowhere oh yeah <laughs> yeah that's what I, that's what i did last week with the ultimate warrior response i it was like lightning in a bottle i catapulted to first place got me to the finals and i think uh so got you uh you had to go to the land of misfit toys or whatever it was yeah. the, that island he puts you on when you get when you're done. Yeah, somehow I somehow I end up there often. <laughs> he spends a lot of time there, unfortunately. But we'll go, that, I think that's going to change tomorrow night. I have a there feeling. So but, there you go. Yeah, awesome. Looking yeah. forward to it. So and then you have after the the thirty on Thursdays, you have the Monty and the Pharaoh show, which streams live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. And uh, this week they have. An amazing guest. I cannot wait to see this. This is, uh, I I can't, when Mike told me this, I was, I was in shock. He's got Ricky, the dragon steamboat. That's going to be an amazing interview. I mean, that's Uh, a man that does not give uh, many interviews out. No, I, I, I'd love to talk with Ricky, the dragon steamboat. His matches with Ric Flair were just unbelievable. They actually wrote, um, in the documentaries that I watched, they actually wrote out their matches, every single match. And they would, it would, they would call it each, each move was a chapter. All right. Chapter one, we're going to do this then chapter two. And it's an amazing, amazing story. So yeah, I can't wait to see Ricky the dragon on there. Absolutely. And then of course we have what, what's going on on Dan and Benny in the ring this week, player. Well, we had, uh, um, we had uh, John. Actually, last night we had uh, Sheldon Goldberg, who uh, uh, owner of New England Championship Wrestling. I'm thinking of John Callahan because every time we have an Irish guy on, we pop the ratings. And I, I said last night, you know, before we introduced Sheldon, that if uh, if we hit number one in Ireland, that I'm going to legally change my name to Red McNulty. But we'll we'll see. But yeah, we had uh, Sheldon Goldberg, great guest. Owner and founder of New England Championship Wrestling uh, recently came up with a book called a Wrestling Novel called The Last Fall. Just a great guy. So, yeah. Yeah. I've worked with him a few years back. He's a great guy, great promoter, yeah. everything. So, he knows his stuff. Yes. So, you guys want to get on to uh, what we're here for? Remembering Let's wrestling's do it. past? So, yeah. Benny, let, yeah. why don't you start us off? I think I got the first one here. So let's see. What do we got? We got Dateline, November 20. So we're going to cover from November 27th until, which would have been Monday through the 3rd, which would be Sunday. So uh, November 27th, 1949. Ah. So what, uh, 74 years ago. Uh, National Wrestling Alliance World Heavyweight Champion Orville Brown forfeited wow. the title to Luthez. Uh, Brown and Tez were supposed to have met the day before in a uh, title unification match. Um, I think um, Fez was the champion of something called the National Wrestling Association. Yeah. Uh, which was, again, based out of the Midwest as well, I believe. But uh, Brown uh, actually suffered uh, career ending injuries as a, as a result of a car accident. Um, so Brown went, actually, he went on to become a, a promoter in the Kansas City region. And, uh, well, you know, Fez, of course, became one of the greatest of all time. I think he held the title this first time for over six years. You know, back then, I mean, we see title changes so frequently now. I mean, we don't – when I was a kid, we never – I mean, you never heard, well, Bruno has had that title a thousand days. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, you know, it was, it was in years. And, yeah. you know, and when somebody got the championship, 
you kind of figured, well, you know, they're going to keep it for a while. But yeah, it says held it until uh, I believe 1955. Unbelievable! That's yeah. a long time. Unreal. And that was mainly Midwest for those NW those days, right? For the NWA. Yes, they, they were pretty much. I mean, I know the territories were just beginning and all that, but it was like the, uh, the NWA. You never saw it up in the Northeast where I grew and, up. And so. and Fez was one of those guys. I mean, they called him a hooker. Not you know, not to be confused with the ones that I'm all, yeah. I'm with all the time. But um, <laughs> the you know, back in the day, there would be these guys who you know the the term is go into business for yourself. You know, yeah. try to did you know take the title away, and they knew that Fez. They were going. That wasn't going to happen with Lou Fez because. The guy knew how to take care of himself. Oh yeah, and a, a lot of the champions in the NWA history were, were selected just because you know, like a Harley Race or a Briscoe. That right. nobody's nobody's going to mess with these guys. No, no, they were they were uh, respected in and outside the ring. Correct, no absolutely. So, oh yeah, different times back then. Yes, sir. Different. Absolutely different. That's good. Nineteen forty nine. Wow, that's way back. Yes, sir. Were you? Did you watch those matches back then, Benny? Were you that? Yeah, old? we we <laughs> had a closed circuit on my cave, so yeah, we you know we had we had a, we had a TV in the in the uh, on the wall of the cave. There was no color TV back then either. No, it was, but it was a flat screen though. <laughs> there you go. Nice, nice. Well, we're gonna fast forward a lot of years now. We got a 30, yeah. 30, uh, five, 36, 37 years. Thirty seven years. Yeah, so I'm up now, right? Is this my little That's turn you. here? That's you. Yes, sir. All right, obviously, uh, Starcade 86. Now, one of the things I loved about um, growing up in the Northeast, regulated to WWF back then, uh, thank God for cable TV, because then I was able to capture, you know, you know, all Georgia Championship Wrestling, all World Championship Wrestling. So I was able to keep up to date, you know, get the wrestling magazines one thing. But um, watching it live and all that stuff was different. So my thing here was I loved about uh, Skywalker here, the Night of the Skywalkers. I mean, this is, first of all, you got to hand it to Jim Crocker pro uh, pro Promotions. They, putting on a pay-per-view on Thanksgiving night or closed-circuit TV for this one uh, is incredible. I, I can't believe they would actually get crowds to go fill an arena, two arenas at that, because this is a dual venue, by the yep. way, Greensboro Coliseum and the Atlanta Omni. And have people in attendance and watching on closed circuit. That's amazing to me. And it's Thanksgiving. So obviously Thanksgiving and football, you know, in those days for Jim Crocker promotion and those fans, it was Thanksgiving and wrestling. So that, that's a unique thing right there, right off the bat. Um, great card and so forth. You know, Tully Blanchard defeating uh, Dusty Rhodes in a first blood match. How Dusty Rhodes... Didn't win that, you know, didn't win that. I don't know. Uh, Dusty Rhodes, you've seen his forehead. I'm surprised he wasn't bleeding when he got to the ring. Um, you know, and the Road Warriors, that was a huge match against the Midnight Express. And um, Cornette getting hurt and all that stuff. But what amazed me researching this was Road Warrior Hawk injured his leg in Japan a few weeks prior. He basically wrestled with a broken leg. Oh, geez. Uh, so that, that, that shocked the heck out of me. Uh, Rick Flair, NWA champion, going up against Nikita Koloff, the NWA U.S. champion. At the time, this was a very rare champion versus champion match. I want to say this is probably one of the first times it ever happened in the NWA or probably in the industry. But um, again, uh, holding the event on Thanksgiving Day was unbelievable. And you got to think about it. Starcade was ahead of its time in regards to pay-per-views. We're talking pre-mania days, going back to the first ones in the early 80s and so forth. I mean, they basically were the trailblazers in knowing how to capture an audience that could not be in attendance at two arenas at the same time. 
but you know, let's put it on closed circuit TV or AKA pay-per-view how it's known now. So uh, unbelievable uh, card and so forth. So, and of course, um, the big match there because Nikita Koloff had to replace Magnum TA because of the, oh, the this, horrific this car is when, injury. Just after uh, Magnum got hurt. Okay. This is what Nikita's yeah, now yeah. face at that point. Okay. Yes. So, you know, you know, we're in, we're in 86 now. This happened. It, you know, it's, it, it was sad, you know, and I don't think, I don't think that during this time, Magnum TA was even shown on TV or, or anything like that. Cause I do know in the future he would show up at certain events. Right. And not, yeah, not, not for a bit. So he was greatly missed. Oh yeah. Card because he, I think this might've been the card that he was probably going to win the title uh, or at least to throw in Ric Flair for a few and, you know, let him yeah. carry the, let Magnum carry the torch, but great card, dual, dual arenas. You got to love it again. Prelude to WrestleMania two when Vince McMahon tried it, he you know Long Island Nassau Coliseum and the other place in Michigan or whatever it was where he had the two um, things actually three, three arenas. Three. What am LA, I saying? Chicago yeah. And yeah, Chicago and LA, right? So I mean, so Vince you know put his little circus type thing in and added another city. So you know it is what it is. I mean, it's hard to keep people's attentions because I think in between the matches in those days they would drop the screen down and you'd watch that match on closed circuit. Then the screen would go up, and then they'd have a match. So it, it was different back then. But um, great stuff, though. Great stuff. You know, Joe, you bring up a really good point, though, as far as, like, having it on Thanksgiving and actually having it, at, like, not only having it on, on, on closed circuit, but you have it on you have it at two different arenas. Yeah. And I think it just really shows, because we were talking earlier about how, like, how the ratings, you know, how, how so yeah. few people, less people are watching wrestling now than, than they did back in the day. Right. The, the people, especially the people in the mid Atlantic region, they took their wrestling seriously. And this is, yeah. you know, back in the eighties, I mean, I would have been shocked if they didn't have a sellout or close to it. They yeah. just love their wrestling that much. And it, it's almost sad. Like when you, we, we, we see the ratings now and how yeah. few, I think it was what 1.8 million people watch wow. wrestling on a, on a Monday night. And, I mean, how many more millions watched in the '90s, or and oh even God. more in the '80s? It's just sad. A week. Yeah, the ratings are just—they're uh, not what they are, what they used to be. I just think the product is getting really saturated now. You know, AEW. What do you got? Three shows a week now. WWE still with I, the two shows a week. I it's a lot of wrestling. I wouldn't even mind the, that much wrestling if somebody—if everybody weren't trying to just outdo everybody, putting on something right. different type of product or. Uh, you know, God forbid, tell a story. But well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so no, I one, hear you. I hear, one thing I, hear. I, I, I remember that Starcade vaguely. Not that I got to watch it. I was young. But the thing yeah. I remember in the magazines was Jimmy Valiant yeah. sitting in the middle of the ring with getting his head yeah. shaved and the look on his yeah. face, and it was yeah. like it was plastered through all the all the uh, the wrestling magazines, yeah. and that that image still sticks out in my mind. You talk about the you know the wrestling magazines, which we call the after magazines now. Yeah. Bill After, great guy, good friend of mine. My mentor, actually, I remember flipping open those magazines back then and seeing Cornette hanging off the scaffold going, this is a wrestling match, a scaffold wrestling match. Are you kidding me? Like, what is this company? I love it. I want to see more of it. And, and thank God cable finally rolled down my street because then I was able to see it. And the great thing about Jim Crocker promotions, they would show you, they would tease a little bit of that stuff. Um, you know, the, the, I quit match, which we'll be talking about soon enough, but you know, they would start off with, you know, with dusty and Magnum or whatever, bleeding, bleeding out and you'd be like what is that and they would say that was from our star kid or whatever so i loved it when they kicked the shows off like that that was amazing 
but totally different, you know, totally different approach. And the WWF had the same approach. You had a one hour yeah. a week uh, TV show that the sole purpose was to, you know, get people to buy tickets to wherever they were wrestling. Yeah, yeah, and that was just a tease. And you put on, you know, they had all the squash matches, and yeah. the, the 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 TV shows were typically squash matches and interviews, right? And both were designed to to get you to the arenas. And it's just now, I mean, now the TV show is at the arena. I loved it when Howard Finkel would do the voiceover during like the first two matches. He'd be like, "Oh, wrestling returns to the Nassau Coliseum." Absolutely, and, and how no. excited you got if you, it was like close to you where you could buy a ticket. Absolutely. You know? Oh yeah. I did. And, I, and of course, I'm I'm on the Boston affiliate, so I'll be like, "Oh, wrestling returns to the Boston Garden this Saturday." I'm like, "Oh, I'm going! I can't wait!" They're announcing it on TV. You know, you think the whole world's watching that segment, but you know, he he separated the region part of it, so it was kind of neat. That was that was a good marketing tool, big yep. time for Vince. Absolutely. So let's move on five years to yeah. November seventeenth, nineteen ninety one, in Detroit, Michigan. The WWF Survivor Series. This was the first Survivor Series where it had a singles match in it, and that match was the Undertaker against Hulk Hogan, and that was the Undertaker's first World Heavyweight Championship with a little bit of a help by a guy you might know. His name was uh, Ric Flair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that what that did was that ended up setting up something we're going to talk about later with that Tuesday night in Texas that's coming up uh, towards the end of the the end of the day. But what yep. a what a uh, what an interesting card they had. So there, it was a dark match. You had four Survivor Series matches, and smack in the middle you had the Undertaker against Hulk Hogan. But uh, let's check out this card because uh, it's it's actually some of the friends of the show. So first match was Chris Chavis against Cato better known as Paul oh, wow. Diamond, who we actually just yeah. had in studio yeah. a few weeks ago. He was After really cool. Express. Yeah. I, I got the op- the honor of, of getting to interview him. That was pretty cool, me and, uh, me and Phil. Uh, th- then you had Ric Flair, the Mountie, Ted DiBiase, and the Warlord, against <laughs> Roddy Piper, Bret Hart, Virgil, and the British Bulldog. Wow. Look at all those legends in there. Next, That's, Sergeant Sloan. All Hall of Famers. They're all Hall of Famers, yeah. yeah. Sergeant Slaughter, Jim Duggan, uh, Kerry Von Erich and Tito Santana against Colonel Mustafa, the Berserker, Skinner, and Hercules. <laughs> <laughs> then you had what Hulk- a t- well, that's a dangerous alliance right there. Yeah. <laughs> we had the, the Undertaker against Hulk Hogan, and we know how that turned out when Ric Flair interfered on behalf of the Undertaker, getting him his first World Heavyweight Championship. Yeah. Wow, 1991, wow. and he's still relevant today. Yeah, nasty, unbelievable. Then you had the Nasty Boys, the Beverly Brothers, uh, the uh, the, the Rock against the Rockers and the Bushwhackers. So uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of <laughs> our friends in there. And then Big Boss Man and a Legion of Doom versus Erwin R. Scheister, the Natural Disasters, and no, that's it. Just a big the uh, Big Boss Man and Legion of Doom against the. Erwin Arshyster and the Natural Disasters. So, you know, it was a, it was definitely a card full of legends, and that, uh, it, it ended up one of the things that ended up happening in that Nasty Boys uh, Rockers match. That was the lead up for Shawn Michaels turning on Marty Jannetty. That's that thing where uh, Shawn Michaels the ended barbershop. up. Yeah, that 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 was the thing that led up to the barbershop, which actually was filmed this week. It was filmed December 2nd, but it didn't play out until January. So I have a feeling we'll be talking about that a little bit more next month. (laughs) Absolutely. The super kick heard around the world. Yeah, one of the most iconic moments in the history of Yeah, it is. Unbelievable. Marty Jannetty, heartbreak kid, broken up. Couldn't believe it. Unbelievable. Still shocked to this day that happened. Yeah. Yep. 
Awesome. Awesome. All right. Am I up again? Am it's I in like the green again? Well, another Jim Crockett Thanksgiving Day uh, Starcade. And I love that. You know, this is the greatest title, The Gathering. You got to love The Gathering on Thanksgiving. Again, dual venues, Greensboro Coliseum, Atlanta Omni. Uh, some of the things I found about about this, this was actually the last closed circuit um, event because everything went to pay-per-view after this this era. You know, pay-per-view was new back then and so forth. So closed circuit TV now turned into pay-per-view. So um, they did this. So obviously one of the biggest matches, Tully Blanchard, we talk about it. I quit match against uh, Magnum TA. This is the one that when I got the wrestling books, Bruce and the player, uh, the first thing I saw was Magnum TA with, with that weapon he had in his hand cutting uh, Tully Blanchard open. And I think they they used that in the beginning of the show the following week. And I was like totally blown away. A microphone in the, the ring. They had to say I quit. I mean, you talk about um, a new inventive type match. That was unbelievable. I quit match. You have to say I quit. I mean, obviously it's used today, but that was um, – Again, iconic moment and so forth. Some of the other notes I got on this, um, that you called it the Dusty Finisher, Dusty Rhodes. Everyone thought he won the title. You know, he walked out, won the won the title, but then the, you know later on that week on the show, a referee Tommy Young reverses his decision because Arn Anderson interferes and the, you know the title is vacated. It's like what now? What you know? Um, the dual location. Again, the WWF counted in that year with the three locations. We just talked about that. That was huge. And this was uh, pretty much the birth of the original Four Horsemen. It was only a couple of months later that Flair, Ole and Iron Anderson, and Tully Blanchard with J.J. Dillon, the original Four Horsemen, this is where they all started coming together. Okay. And uh, they debuted a few weeks later. And, of course, how can we forget the night featured the uh, match Jimmy Valiant with Miss Atlanta – Lively, also known as Ronnie Hands of Stone Garvin. That was unbelievable. Dressed up like a woman. Oh, that's <laughs> right. They battled the Midnight Express. And, you know, to this day, you know, even when I Googled it, I'm like, I forgot about that. You didn't see much about that. Miss Atlanta um, Lively. If you Google Miss Atlanta Lively and Ronnie Garvin's face pops up, I'm like, wait a second. I'm like, that's right. He dressed up like a woman. So, uh, again, entertainment, pioneering. Again, Thanksgiving night. You know, no football in that town. You know, everyone's either eating turkey, watching Jim Crockett's Starcade, The Gathering, or, you know, they're they're at the event. So uh, great stuff there. 1985, I think that was a big year for pro wrestling as well uh, when the pay-per-view started booming on the scenes and so forth. And um, pretty much the only two programs that dominated cable at the time was Georgia uh, World Championship Wrestling. Um, and of course, WWF Championship Wrestling, All Star Wrestling. So that that change right. was happening right about now, especially with Vince McMahon during that time frame. Jim Crockett was battling him left and right for you know ticket sales, oh, yeah. views, and all that stuff. So that was good stuff. That was a good good retro fit for me. So I love that stuff. Nice, nice. So uh, let's bring. I'm gonna bring that screen back up. I was trying. I had lost my notes there for a minute on this next one. There you go. But on fast forward to 2016. Yeah, 2016. This is another legendary wow. one. Two legendary women, legendary women wrestlers. These women are gonna be in the Hall of Fame first ballot. Well, maybe not Mercedes Monet because of her reputation, but she should be. Uh, 
It was so Mercedes then then known as Sasha Banks defeated Charlotte Flair to win the WWF Women's Title, and I believe this was the a false count anywhere match. So yeah, it was. Yeah, I, yeah, that, yeah. I, I mean the, these women tore down the house. This is the beginning of the women's era. These guys were showing what women the, what women's wrestling was about to become. No, I mean yep. they, it was somewhat established at this point, but this this really solidified that future. And you look at how far they've come come, come now. Oh yeah. Unbelievable. Yep. I mean, of course, having having Charlotte lose it in her hometown, you know, the Queen Charlotte uh, losing it in Charlotte. So the, a hometown hero never seems to work out in wrestling anymore. Never does. Never nope. does. It's, al- it's almost like you can bet on it it's just like based on It's like yeah. a curse. You do not want to have a match in your hometown because you know you're going to be on the, the wrong end of it. So <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Well, uh, now we're up to uh, today, November 29th, 1994, yeah. Chicago, Chi-Town. Uh, Tito Santana wins the uh, unheralded American Wrestling Federation AWF Championship by defeating Cowboy Bob Orton. Uh, the AWF was a Chicago-based promotion that lasted all of two years. <laughs> and a little bit different uh, setup uh, format for the matches. It was a boxing format. It had four-minute rounds with a one-minute rest period in between. And wow. um, actually, Jumpin' Jim, Jim Brunzel was the first AWF commissioner, and he actually refereed this match. They closed oh, down in... The high Flyers, right? Yep, with Greg Gagne. Yep, yes, sir. And they closed their doors in December 1996, so what, they lasted maybe two years for financial reasons. Although, Tito did defend the title 10 years later against a recent... Uh, a recent Monty and the Pharaoh uh, guest, Tom Brandy, a.k.a. Salvatore Cinceri in uh, York, PA. Wow. Uh, now, even though the promotion is relatively insignificant, I included this because, and I don't know how you guys feel, but I, I think Tito is one of the good guys of wrestling. And I do believe he should have gotten, a, even if it was a, a brief run, he should have gotten a, a title, world title run in WWF. And I wanted to ask you guys a question. Sure. Um, what When uh, Rick Martell... And uh, it turned on Tito. Yeah. Uh, there were there was uh, I've heard Tito say that he approached Vince and he wanted to be the one to turn heel. Do you think that would have worked? No. Um. Okay. Well, I had a podcast with Tito State Tanner. I think he was my first guest like five years ago. Uh, I asked him that question about Strike Force. It was his idea. He did want to turn heel. Okay. Because he. It was something, you know, they wanted to make it different and so forth. They wanted the shock and awe. But it was his idea. He went to Vince with it and all that. What if it worked? I don't know. Tito Santana, I don't think I don't think it would work. I think he's too much of a face. Um, you know, he's he, he just recently retired. He was a school teacher for years. Right. Um, but one thing, one thing that I got out of my conversation with Tito Santana back in the day was there was a, I, almost like a lack of respect for him. Um I was there the night he beat Magnificent Morocco at the Boston Garden, and they brought a camera crew in, so you know something was going to happen. And believe it or not, the finish is not on tape because they ran out of film. They ran out of film. So the only thing you see is him giving Morocco a sunset flip, and that's it. And I'm like, you're telling me you send a film crew there to film, you know, Tito winning the title, and they run out of film? Like, it didn't make sense to me. And he was dumbfounded by it as well. Um, So, but he... He was a legend in Boston. There's no doubt about it. He did a lot of um, matches at the Boston Garden. He had a great one against Randy Macho Man Savage in '86. 
Um, that was one of the big title matches. And back then at the at the old Boston Garden, you knew something was up when they added the TV lights and camera crews. Right. So you knew something was going on. You didn't know what until the match happened and the lights came on. It's like, okay, they're filming this for a reason. So, but don't um, you think he was he was a great IC champion? Absolutely. Oh, one of the best. Oh yeah, so, absolutely. So, in, in yep. my opinion, Tito Santana yep. as Tito Santana as a matador as anything like that would never ever yep. be able to pull off a face. The only way you'd be able to do something with him is put him under a mask. Put some makeup on yeah. him. Make him look like a bad guy. Because I don't. No offense to him. He just looks like such a nice guy too. And he, oh, yeah. he is. But I mean, I, I have to be honest too. Though on the flip side, I never thought Martel could pull off the the heel turn. But boy, oh boy, did he prove me wrong. The yeah, model was a great heel. Yeah, the the model was he he, he fitted perfectly for that. Arrogance. I don't know how they came up with it. Arrogance, yes. Yeah. Yep, I mean that was gorgeous, George. Fast forwarded fifty years with a I French mean, accent, right? Yeah, with the with the perfume and everything. <laughs> I was like, you know, growing up, Tony Garea and Rick Martel—they're my favorite tag team. I mean, the, the house exploded when they were in the ring all the time. Why they're not in the Hall of Fame? There's got to be something going on politically there because yeah. Rick Martel and Tony Garea both deserve Hall of Fame. Not, Absolutely, one hundred percent in there. But anyways. Wow, good stuff though. The American oh, yeah. Federation. <laughs> wow. Am I up again? Yes, sir. I am. All right. So, this one I, I didn't see because this was in the heart and the height of the Monday Night Wars. So, you know, unless you put two TVs together, which I did on occasion, I wouldn't have seen this unless I taped it. But it was hard to tape. You'd have to tape on one TV back then um, to do what they do now. But the Scott Hall situation, throwing the throwing the title, the World WCW TV Championship, the title. Um, I don't know. It, to me, I wrote my my thing. I call it a horrible storyline. I, I don't agree with it. It made no sense. I think they were just doing it because they, you know, if you watch the documentary on, on WWE about the Monday Night Wars, they were actually in a room watching Raw to see what they did, and they would counter it, and, and vice versa. So, um, anyways. Nobody knows this, but on the other flip side, on that night on Raw, that was the infamous Stephanie McMahon almost marrying Test. And that's when Triple H came out, unveiled that video, that infamous drive through wedding chapel yeah. in Vegas with an unconscious Stephanie McMahon. So I think that's probably why I didn't watch Nitro that night, because I was watching an unconscious Stephanie McMahon marry Triple H on tv in vegas so that you know that was interesting that was the height of the monday night wars right there count you know scott hall you know former wwf guy razor ramon throwing a, a title in the trash can and then you flip it over and you get stephanie the daughter of vince mcmahon marrying a wrestler so it's kind of, that was that was pretty interesting to me though that but, that wc that world television championship though i mean yeah. had a great lineage and i i thought yeah. it was a great championship back when uh guys like you know arn anderson held it steiner yeah. uh, uh mike rotundo it yeah. was it was an important title i just kind of really you know they they put you to the back well, they, yeah i i loved it was that was the title back in the day that had like the tv logos on it right abc cbs nbc yeah. is it that that was that title right it had a it had a great lineage and i mean you yeah. you weren't getting like i mean unlike the ic championship the ic championship when it was created whoever got that was yeah. theoretically you know next in line for the wwf championship yeah, there was always a the stepping stone Yep. Yeah, but the NWA, they more used that U.S. title for the stepping stone. The TV title was that. Yeah, they had the national championship, the U.S. They had, yeah. But yeah, they had a lot of titles, but it seemed to work. 
but it was territorial titles too. Yes, you right. Know what I mean, like they they had such a vast uh, geographical area to encompass, so you had to have those multiple champions because you couldn't put all champions on one card in a house show. They would all spread out, you know. They would main event this town. Flair would be do the big town, you know. You get the yeah, yeah, like TV the title in this town, town. right? Yeah. Yeah, Jake I, Roberts was a great TV title holder for them. What, what I don't understand is why they disrespected the TV title in that that fashion. Yeah. Um, I understand the hacksaw Jim Duggan angle. They were trying to do that that comedy bit, but yeah. it, it, it fell flat. I mean, you had the WWE doing that that hardcore title at the time, or where you know, but which was similar in the way that it was put together, but it seemed to work in WWF. It didn't work in, in WCW once it, once it, Right. Once it went over there, but like as what a day was talking about on uh, on that same day in Los Angeles, California, uh, on Raw, Stephanie was supposed to marry her uh, fiance <laughs> Test, and lo and yeah. behold, it out came Triple H with that video from the Chapel of the Bells in Vegas, revealing Stephanie had gotten married the night before while drugged. <laughs> while drugged, what a what a night of wrestling that I think all of us, everybody saw was watching Raw at that point. I think WCW was well on its well on its uh, downfall at that point on that downward spiral. Yeah, just just to add to that, I think that is the year that Raw finally went live every week. Because I think in '98 it was still they they do a live raw, then they would tape the following day for the following week and all that stuff. And of course, we all know with mankind winning the title that was taped, and Tony Schiavone saying, "Don't turn the channel," uh, you know, blah blah blah. History was made. That's when the Monday Night Wars, when WWF finally catapulted over Nitro and all that in the ratings. But this was, uh, yeah, this that that was. Great television back then. Yeah. Great television. And, and either with a with a drugged up Stephanie McMahon, it's just like ve- anything in Vegas, you know. Whatever the pre, yeah. it's just like the referee's decision. <laughs> Whatever it is, the preacher's decision stood. <laughs> yeah. unless, it's, unless it's unless it's Tommy Young and a dusty finish, then it's not. There you go. My question was: Was uh, Stephanie and Triple H married by then? Were they married? Then? No, they were married in two thousand three. Yeah, they were. Okay, they so weren't they even were to, they weren't even together at that point. They were supposed. Yeah. was uh, he was supposed to still be with China. Yep, that's right. Yep, yeah. So yeah, that might have been the beginning. That might have been the start of it. You don't know what happens. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? Triple H, the <laughs> smartest man in wrestling. He married the billionaire. <laughs> yep. There you go. There you go. What do we got? All right. Well, in on November thirtieth, nineteen seventy-nine, so forty-four years ago, Antonio Inoki defeated Bob Backlund to win the WWF Championship. He'd vacate the title a week later after a rematch, which would go to a no contest due to interference from Tiger Jeet Singh. Uh, Onoki's win was never recognized, and I don't get that by the WWF, and Backlund's reign remained intact. And I just want to put a little bit of perspective on Bob Backlund, another Monty and the Pharaoh phenomenal guest. And and I think, I love Bob Backlund. I think Bob Backlund was just, you know, people say he was boring. No, he wasn't. He, He did what he was supposed to do. I mean, and he was over when you. I mean, if you watch any Bob Backlund championship match for Madison Square Garden, he he was over. I mean, the people were really popping for him. Uh, the, the matches were always like top quality. And he, I mean, and when he lost his temper, it was even better because it happened so rarely that you know you thought like, oh crap, Backlund's pissed off. This this is you know this is really important. But you know, another perspective is that uh, in that year. And this is according to WrestlingData.com. He wrestled 153 times. And record-keeping in 79 is not what it is in 2023. Yeah. So I bet you he wrestled probably 200 times. They wrestled yeah, fast forward to 
Six days uh-huh. a week they wrestled. They wrestled six days a week. At least. Before. Yeah. yeah. So that, that would give you like, you know, maybe 300 matches. But, uh, you know, in comparison, Roman Reigns has wrestled 11 times in 2023. So greatest of all time, my ass. Yeah, no way. Uh, Bob Backlund, quick story on that. I met him at the Garden of Raw. Um, I think it was 2000. He was running for Congress in Connecticut. And I had a conversation with him and I asked him, I was, I'm an avid belt, belt collector, by the way. So I asked him, where is that title that superstar Billy Graham ripped up? And believe it or not, his webmaster for Bob back on 2000.com, it's in his attic. It's wow. in his attic in a box. He still has that title. And people call him all the time. They want the molds for it. They want to, they, 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 they want the plating for it. You know, it's replicated online and, you know, Fandu and all those guys overseas. But it, you, you know that he has the actual belt. That's an incredible story right there. And Bob Backlund losing his temper. I grew up with Bob Backlund, and I respected the hell out of him. And he was a phenomenal athlete. I mean, the bridges, he was doing bridges before anybody else was. He did one against Magnificent Morocco. And when he arched his back and lifted Morocco up out of that pin, unbelievable. The crowd went ballistic. And you do a move like that, it's like secondary now. It's you know, it's like clothesline. So it's usually be great finishers. Now they're just part of wrestling repertoire. And, so and the guy was had superhuman strength, which oh, I don't think is hard. really appreciated. But I, I heard a story that uh, King Kong Mosca tried to shoot on him, yeah. and that quickly ended back when <clears throat> very quickly put him in his place. Um, yeah. and I mean another guy who, you know, if if somebody decided to go into business for themselves. They're not. They're going to be very sorry if they do it against Bob Backlund. Exactly. Exactly. It, and then you know, fast forward. Was it ninety four? He turns heel on. He beats Bret Hart on Monday Night Raw to become a two time champion. It's like incredible. I, I didn't like the fact that he had to drop it like about a week later to Kevin Nash, and literally oh, yeah. it was like a nine second match. That part yeah. I didn't like. And one of the things I don't know. I'm not too clear about it, but um, is that. For whatever reason, it seems like now that Roman Reigns is chasing, you know, now he's, you know, his his title reign is kind of amassing some time here. Yeah. That they, in terms of longevity of former champions, you don't see Bob Backlund's name anymore. So I'm not sure what's going on. Yeah, and then uh, didn't Monty and the Pharaoh cover the fact that Backlund's name wasn't mentioned during yeah one of the, one yeah of the episodes. And and how could that be? I mean, they've never acknowledged that in Oki Tuck. Now, even if they, Greg, the Greg Valentine Madison Square Garden one in November, right. uh, was it 81? Uh, great, phenomenal card. And you, of course, they both wore black trunks, and Dick Kroll raised Greg Valentine's hand as the winner. He actually, this pictures in wrestling magazines with Greg Valentine wearing the WWF championship and being proclaimed champion, never recognized on TV. He ended up winning it back a month later. Did he? He defended um, it, didn't he? He the title was totally it was vacated. It was up for grabs. So he had he lost it in October of eighty one. November of eighty one was that huge card where Morocco beat Morales for the for the for the yeah, uh, intercontinental oh, no, title. Valentine. It was a huge card. Valentine didn't he? Yeah. Didn't he had defended the title at least once, didn't he? I don't know. I, you'd have to look up look up and see if he did. I don't think he left the the Madison Square Garden with the belt. So I wonder if they're now saying that he technically he did lose it in 79 to, to Anoki and he lost it in 81, or maybe he didn't lose it in 81 to Valentine. 
you know, you do the Wikipedia searches and all that, and there's those asterisks and all that mm-hmm. stuff. But the WWF is not recognized. Oh, WWE, excuse me, is not recognizing that, and I don't know why. That's like weird storylines. Like, well, why would you just want to? That's the play WWE, that, you know? the WWF, WWE. You know, that, that was something I brought up a few weeks ago. When I was a kid, you know, it was uh, Andre the Giant had never been slammed and had, was undefeated oh. and, yeah. you know, all, all that. Hulk Hogan was brand new to the WWF, you know, so. Yeah. And they wrestled at Chase Stadium in 1980. They wrestled in Japan. They, right. You know, they, they, they tore it up. One of the things that amazed me about Andre the Giant, I don't mean to get off subject, but when he, before, before um, Vince's father signed him, he was always getting beaten in, in Canada and body slammed. And Vince Senior, when he when he finally got a hold of Andre and gave him a contract and says, When we loan you out, you don't lose anymore. You know, because they started billing him as undefeated, never right. lost before and all that. But now the internet, you go on the internet, you can see matches from the seventies where he's actually jobbing to some of these Rougeau guys and all that stuff in wow. Canada and France. And I'm like, wow, that's Andre the Giant. You know, that's like 74, 75. Fast forward, you know, six, seven years when Vince Sr. gets a hold of Andre, bills him as the giant, you're undefeated now, never been slammed, all that stuff. You know, there was no internet back then. You didn't know. You only knew that Andre got slammed if you actually physically saw it. If you were there at the matches, right. right. And we we all know about WrestleMania 3 and all that. You know, the referee did count to three when, when Hogan, you know, felt, you know, when Andre pinned him by accident. Even Andre had to stick up two fingers to tell the crowd it wasn't a, a three counts. I, I just think that, uh, uh, to me, Bob Backlund was a phenomenal champion, and I think it's just so disrespectful of the WWE to not not acknowledge him. I, that you know, I don't know. I, I I've heard it's a it's a political thing. Um, it's kind of like reminiscent of Bruno San Martino. Bruno didn't like the product after a while, so he he disassociated himself with it. Then he came around. He finally got in the Hall of Fame. Ironically, in 2013, that Hall of Fame, fame class was huge. Donald right. Trump um, was, was got inducted. Uh, Mankind got McFoley got inducted, and then of course Backlund and uh, Bruno Sammartino both got inducted that same night. So I, to me, that was a huge night um, and a huge thing for Bruno. And as you can see behind me, I got one of his robes that he he wore in the ring. He only signed like five of them, and I was lucky to get wow. one. So, uh, Bruno is, you know, synonymous with wrestling. And My hero. He, he was probably the, to me, honestly, pre-Hogan era, he's got to be one of the greatest champions. Yeah, I, I love Bob Backlund to death, but Bruno's reigns carried that company in the well, 70s. And- you know, we, we had Sheldon Goldberg on Dan and Benny in the ring last night. I think one of the questions I asked him is because Bruno's, Bruno's first reign was seven years and eight months, mm-hmm. and he was just tired of wrestling – Three hundred oh, nice a year, yeah. and, and he said, "You know, I I gotta I gotta take some time off." So he dropped the belt to Koloff, who you know was just a transitional champion for Pedro. And then when when you know when Pedro wasn't drawing three years later, they said, "Can you come back for a year?" Okay, I'll come back for a year. You know, and that turned it to three and a half years. And then he you know he dropped it to Billy Graham. But you wonder if they had managed him properly. Yeah. Uh, how long could I mean? Assume the first reign. Instead of wrestling 300 nights a year, he wrestled, you know, just the big the big uh, arenas. And maybe he did 125 matches a year. How long could he have been a champion continuously? It just boggles the mind because here's a man who never, you know, they never said, well, Bruno, you got to drop the belt. You know, yeah. Bruno decided, you know, I'm tired. I want to go home. He could have been champion for 15 years. Easily. He sold out Madison Square Garden, what, like 
fifty. One hundred eighty-seven. One eighty-eight. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. You know, superstar Billy Graham did it too. You know, he's you know his ten-month reign sold out every show. He was dumbfounded as to why he had to lose to Backlund and so forth. So you don't I, know. I agree with that too. You know, Bruno San Martino. Obviously, he carried that company. He catapulted that company. He was a spokesman for that company. In the seventies, when you mentioned wrestling, this is pre Dusty Rhodes, pre Ric Flair. It was Bruno San Martino. Well, and- I don't know if you remember, Joe. Uh, there was a commercial for Bally's uh, okay. back in the day, Bally's yeah. Park Place, and uh, it was a bunch of guys in tuxedos singing. Yeah. And it was all it was like Walt Frazier, um, who else? Johnny Unitas, Phil Esposito, like all world class athletes. Yeah. But the very first person that came out was Bruno. Bruno. Yeah, it was unbelievable. That was one probably one of the first crossovers. It has to be of right. wrestling going mainstream. But you know, that, it, Bruno was larger than life. I mean, that's like Bruno was. I mean, he was, and especially to the Italians in New York. I mean, he was. Wow. Sheldon said the people had three pictures um, on their walls in New York: the the, the Pope, Jesus Christ, and Bruno. So much, you know, yeah. I was fortunate enough to see him in '86 wrestle. He had a feud with Roddy Piper, and he had a cage match with Roddy Piper. And the at the time it was February of '86, and we, the Patriots, New England Patriots, just lost the Super Bowl to the Chicago Bears. Piper comes out, puts up these Chicago Bears posters in the cage, so he's getting the heat. Bruno comes out and just slobber knocks Piper. Piper is bleeding like probably the worst blade jobs I've ever seen because he just was bleeding from head to toe, and he ended up sticking like the refrigerator Perry's poster up his ass, and you know made him choke on Jim McMahon's poster in his mouth, and. I to this day I can still hear my ears ringing from when Bruno was there, and uh, you know Hulk Hogan was probably and probably Bob Backlund. Those are the only times I heard my ears ringing leaving the arena because the excitement that Bruno generated was just. And, and keep in mind, 1986. So Bruno, his, his, his he won the title in May of 1963. Yeah, he was 50, 21 years old. 51 years old then. Yeah, and the guy's still. I mean, they they probably could have given him the belt again. I mean, just un, unreal. An amazing physical condition, too, for a guy that age back then. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Unbelievable. Good stuff. All right, where would we leave off? Where are we at now? Yeah, it's uh, you, you on 1130. 98. 1130, 98. Oh, okay, yeah, here we go. So this was the Big Boss Man Defeated Mankind ladder match that introduced the, um, the newly created hardcore championship. Um, my notes on this, let me get my glasses on this one. So... Let's talk about the hardcore wrestling championship was, you know, it was considered hardcore rules, no DQs, no countouts, so long as a referee was present and so forth. Have we heard this before? Yes, folks. Fast forward many years. And what do we got? The 24-7 championship. Right. So, you know, I remember Vince presenting man, Mick Foley with that championship and all that stuff, that newly created title. My thoughts on that was, again, the time frame, height of the um, – the Monday Night Wars, the getting creative and all that stuff, the Attitude Era is coming on, and people love those matches. You know, the hardcore was generating excitement. I think ECW, which we'll talk about later on, was in a Tay Day at that time as well. So people love that hardcore action. So how do you justify that? Well, you create a hardcore championship. So at least once a week on TV or wherever you go, there's going to be, you know, you're going to get tables, ladders, and chairs or something, or boiler room matches and you know, they get creative and so forth. So uh, to me, that was definitely attitude era stuff. Um, 
you know, it was a prelude to the 24-7 championship because when you think about it, those types of rules that existed with the 24-7 championship. So, you know, that's my opinion on it. I, I really think, honestly, it was just another Vince McMahon marketing too. They still sell the belt online on www.up.com. Um, so, you know, that's that's my take on that. Again, I watched that. It was, you know, it was a, it was a big a ladder match. You know, you didn't see many ladder matches back then. You know, you get the Michaels and Razor Ramon, but ladders were coming into their their time here, and that was fitting for WWF WWE to uh, counter with that. So, I always pretty thought good it was kind of funny. You have the this hardcore championship, but it's also kind yeah. of the comedy championship because it's almost yeah. it's like it's so silly what they're doing, but then they go into these matches and they're the the craziest bumps, the craziest things that they're doing. It's yeah. just like this, the, just just a position there. <laughs> what I liked about it though is it it got it, it put a belt on someone that normally would not have a belt, and I kind of like that. Yeah, that, and and those types of matches segued into that. What was that Super Bowl halftime match? The Rock and Mankind they had an empty arena match during Super Bowl halftime. Or, or the, uh, uh, I mean, the you talk about store match. The, 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 yeah, the grocery, oh yeah. Oh jeez! <laughs> With Booker T and Stone Cold, right? That oh, one, yeah. yeah. And then it, I just saw a clip the other day. It was the anniversary of uh, Booker T and Stone Cold playing bingo with the old ladies at the nursing home. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Booker T pretends he you know, he steals the old lady's numbers and says he won. And the the next one is the next letter is uh, uh, you know Stone Cold three sixteen and Booker T's face lights up and he's like, oh no! And they start going at it around the old ladies. I mean. Jeez. Just the craziest stuff back then. Crazy stuff. But how entertaining was it? Like, I, I watched you know, it. You watched oh, yeah. It. I mean, you, Bruce, you mentioned the uh, grocery store match. I mean, the milk. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, I, you got to wonder, how much did they pay to rent out that grocery store and destroy all that produce and everything? It's just crazy. They had all the da- I mean, yeah, they, they just went nuts, too. In a real grocery yeah. store. That was... yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, they did crazy stuff like that. that's what you did. You know, that's what you did. So let, let's so. do one more topic and then we have to take a quick break and uh, then we come back. We okay. can finish it up. So on uh, same date in 1973 in Ontario, Canada, Jason Resso was born. He's later later became known to us as Christian or Christian Cage, and uh, yeah. he's got this crazy celebrated career, including two WWF World Heavyweight Championships, nine tag team titles, and he's currently an AEW superstar holding the AEW TNT title. And happy right. birthday, Christian! But uh, overall, I gotta say I'm a little surprised this one came to me because, as Benny knows, I'm not the biggest Edge and Christian fan. Um, I did enjoy them ah. when they first came in. However, I think. Uh, I, I, I never had put Christian. I think Christian's doing closer to a main event level work than I ever expected him to. I always felt he was yeah. behind Edge, and I was never an Edge fan. So the yep. were they great talents? Absolutely. I think their peaks were the tag teams. I think that's where they belong. I really enjoyed that five second pose, Edge and Christian, and the Brood Edge and Christian. Yeah. Yeah. But later on, I'm sorry, I, I'm not a fan of fan of those guys. Great wrestlers, but yeah. I mean, Christian and Edge, obviously Christian, synonymous with the Brood, his tag team. But come on, TLC with the Dudley Boys and the Hardys. Uh, the those best. matches were just off the charts. To this day, you know, I'll show my my, my girl, fiance Joanne, I, I show her that match all the time. The spear off the top of the, the, the ladder. Some of the stuff they do is just absolutely insane. And, you know, Christian now in AEW, I think now – 
he, I think he's more in his prime now than he was back then. He's getting a microphone. He's getting that TV time and the script writing. I don't know if they're doing this off the cuff over there, but that stuff's getting personal talking about edge and his family and maybe Beth would have been better off with him. You know, like just the craziest stuff. Tony Khan is letting him go loose. I think it's a great thing. You, you know, at the end of Edge's career, they're going to get back together. They're going to have a tag team title run or something because people want to see it. And yeah. don't be surprised. The Hardys are around. The and you know the Dundies won't be too far behind. Right? I, I, Billy don't, Ray. I don't want to see yep. that out of the nursing home match. Come on. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they'd go all out. I think I think they would. You'd have to perform at that level if you're going to go back into that arena like that because that's something that you can't fake the spear off the top of the ladder. You can't sw- just swanton off a balcony and stuff like that. Fans are going to want to see that if that match takes place. So uh, I hope they're ready for it. That'd be great if they do it. Yeah, so, well, on that note, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about Stan Stasiak. Ooh, love it. We'll be right back. The Monty and the Pharaoh Show is brought to you by... Because wine is your second favorite four-letter word. California wine, New York attitude, good fucking wine. Yeah. Tired of that same old, same old breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Same old tasting scrambled eggs, burger, that dinner steak, ribs, or pork chops. Why not add a little bit of spice or just a touch of heat to make the difference? Change that scrambled egg with a little bit of Johnny Fabulous's John Cena Sr.'s Million Dollar Jalapeno Hot Sauce. Great on burgers, steaks, chops, and those barbecued ribs. And Nitro's Garage for all your automotive needs. Call 646-675-2349. That's 646-675-2349. For all your automotive needs, Nitro's Garage, ask for Jack. Do you treat your dog as part of the family? (laughs) Well, so do we. So why not celebrate your pup's birthday with the ultimate party box? Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Party Pup Info, and let us make your pup's party or any celebration perfection. M&J Video Games and Collectibles. Sport and non-sport cards, wrestling items, autographed items. We buy, sell, and trade. M&J Video Games and Collectibles, located at 1049 Queen Street, Southington, Connecticut, Call us at 1-860-479-9223 or 860-93-GAMES. M&J, video games and collectibles. We're going back. Welcome back, my friends, to this show that never ends. For all you Emerson, Lake, and Palmer fans. So on December 1st, 1973, uh, in a stunning I guess it would be an upset. Stan Stasiak defeated Pedro Morales for the uh, WWF championship, ending Pedro's almost three-year reign. And the finish was a, a double pin, one of those, you know, both shoulders were on the mat. And uh, but no and no winner was declared at the arena. Uh, Stasiak was actually declared the champion on, on wow. TV that weekend. 
And uh, now Stan would drop the title of Bruno, another trans transitional champion. He held the belt for nine days at uh, Madison Square Garden. And somehow in those nine days, uh, Stasek managed to have at least 11,000 photos taken of because everywhere you go on social media, there's a different picture of Stan Stasiak. So what, nine days is what? Let me do 216 hours. He must have spent like maybe slept for 20 of them, 196 hours having pictures taken of him. And that maybe he knew that, you know, I'm, I'm only going to have it nine days. I might as well get my money's worth. The first, the first thing that comes to mind for this one is 11,000 photos taken of him in nine days. And he wasn't declared the winner at, at Madison Square Garden, but maybe on TV. But they didn't have 11,000 people to TV tapings, that's for sure. Because I'm thinking everybody at the Garden probably took a picture. Right. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's, uh, how, do you, how do you even calculate that in those days? I don't know. 11,000. You know, that was my estimate. But, I mean, it, it, there's, there's tons of pictures. But, oh, yeah. Um, there's, there's no two alike. That's the funny part. Like, every time you pull them up, it's a different right. picture. Yep. And I, I, I see those pictures all the time in the wrestling magazine with the Grand Wizard. That was his protege, you know. And, you know, God love him. He had, he finally had a WWF champion. Of course, this is pre-Superstar Graham days. But, um, yeah, that's amazing that they would actually crown the champion on TV. Like, that, that's, that's pretty creative. What was the reasoning? Do we know why Bruno needed nine days off? Was it a scheduling? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the same old thing. You're not going to have Pedro and, and Bruno fight. So, yeah. And supposedly, and this is what I heard, is that Stasiak did not know that he was going over until he showed up at the arena that night, which is absolutely amazing. You right. know, when you think about, like, what these guys can do, uh, you know, we talk about on the 30, you know, that we, we get a – we have to cut a promo – well, you know, off an impro you know, an unknown subject or, you know, unknown to us subject until that moment. Right. But when you think about what these these guys have to perform in front of like thousands of people, sure. and then you know they change the game plan when oh by the way you know you're going to win tonight. Just the the fact that they can do stuff like that, just amazing. Yeah, I wonder whose call that was. Obviously, Vince Senior was running the show back then, so uh, storyline's kind of weird. Something must have happened. Yeah, because I mean, typically, like when when Billy Graham uh, beat uh, Bruno, yeah. um, in April of '77, right. he he was told to the day when he was going to drop the title to uh, to Backlund. So I mean, yeah. they had McMahon had it laid out to the day. Yeah, that's that's crazy, unbelievable. All right, moving on. I think I'm next, right? December first, '98, New Haven, Connecticut. Stone Cold Steve Austin and Mankind defeated The Rock and The Undertaker. And, of course, the infamous crucifixion segment ended up happening. The Druids come in and uh, do their thing, and they wrap Stone Cold on this cross with the music playing that synonymous with church and death and all that stuff. Um, you know, the WWF denied that it was a crucifixion episode, but, you know, you could see what clearly what was going on. I think this was obviously in the height of the Attitude Era. The Monday Night Wars was another another gimmick to try and get viewers to watch, which they did. Yeah, what did they call and, the person uh, at the head of the ministry the way, before they revealed it was Vince McMahon? They were calling him. Yeah, that, that, yeah um, not well, darkness. Oh. oh, my God. I was at the Raw that they unmasked him. He did it in Boston at, at the old Fleet Center. Yeah, he was the oh my god, I forget the name. Yeah, I, at this me. point, I don't think that they had they ha had decided it was Vince McMahon. I think that ended up being like a darkness <laughs> or something. It was some weird thing, but yeah, it was it was me, you know, Vince McMahon and the it was yeah, me, you know, yeah, it was just the ministry at that point, not yeah. the corporate ministry. Yep, 
So in the Druids and all that, this was that time frame where I think Vince McMahon put that video out that, you know, telling them that the new attitude error is here and you're going to see more risque stuff. You're going to see more just like he, he turned it into the sports entertainment company right about this time where he was telling the viewers at the beginning of Raw that, hey, we're going to get, you know, almost rated our material now. You're going to see a lot more skin. You're going to see a lot more violence because that's what we do. We entertain. You put that entertainment in WWE at this point. And uh, this was part of it. And I think there was apologies that they had to issue to the TV guys over in USA Network at the time. There was a, um, a guy that rode for TV Guide who swears up and down that it was a crucifixion thing. And they got a bad write-up over it. Yeah, yeah. But ultimately, they denied it. They said, no, it was just a entertainment segment and all that. And that was just one of many, when you think about it. Jerry, so, Lawler, oh, yeah. Jerry Lawler and his puppies. And the puppies, yeah, exactly. May <laughs> Young giving puppies. birth to a hand. I mean, geez. Yeah. Oh, my God, that episode, unbelievable. Mark Henry at his finest right there. Oh, May <laughs> Young. Sexual chocolate. Fabulous moolah. Pat Patterson and Briscoe giving birth. Like, what the hell? I mean, that was just crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. But that was the year. That was the year they got they, – they won the ratings war at, at January 98. Worcester Centrum, a taped episode. We mentioned it earlier. Mankind winning the title with the help of Stone Cold and all that stuff. All the wrestlers were there. And that's when everything turned. That's when Raw started beating Nitro. Yes. And um, this was just another one of those storylines where we're going to get more creative and why not have a live crucifixion <laughs> on TV? So, and then deny it. But whatever it is, what it, it's sports entertainment. Attitude right. era at its finest. All right. So 30 years <laughs> behind that, uh, December 2nd of 1968, uh, Dory Funk Jr. and Antonio Inoki fight to a 60-minute draw for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. And this was the first NWA title match in Japan since 1957, uh, many more after that. But um, I, I actually met Dory at his wrestling school, the, the Funking Conservatory. Him and his wife are really, really nice people, Marty Funk and Dory, great people. And uh, at that time, he was planning his 80th trip to Japan. And, I mean, I haven't even been to 7-Eleven 80 times. <laughs> Big money over there back then for Japan. They oh, loved yeah. them over there. Yep. I mean, they they if you watch some of the videos and even the magazines, guys like Andre the Giant, Hulk Hogan, they get off the plane. They're like mega superstars over there. Yeah. The, you know, the Road Warriors. The Road Warriors would shut yep. down the airport. Yep. I mean, even some of the guys like a Davey O'Hannon, who wasn't a main eventer, but like they would really look forward to those Japan trips because they, they got paid. I mean, big yeah. time. Yeah, it was it's, it was a different element over there. Even the WWF had the, the Japan tours and all this stuff. Backlund was over there. I mean, Hogan before he won the um, before he made his WWF debut for the Hulkamania, he was the International Wrestling Grand Prix champion. You yeah. know, that was the last photo with him before he moved on to the WWE, WWF back then. But, yeah, this was uh, – Japan is great, great place for wrestling back then. They they were treated like royalty over there. Absolutely. So let's move on to 
December 2nd in 1973 at Kakoshima, Japan. We had Giant Baba defeating Jack Briscoe in a two out of three falls match to capture the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, Baba would lose the title back to Briscoe a week later, but he was a three-time NWA champion. All of his reigns were a little limited to two, a week or two, but it was known that Baba was always a consummate professional and had the full trust of the National Wrestling Alliance. So one of the things, Baba, you know, Baba had his own stuff going on in Japan. He couldn't really be part of the NWA full time, right. but it was a, uh, it was nice of the, you know, that that cross promotion and, you know, just like with the rest, we were talking about the wrestlers going over to Japan had all the respect. Baba had that same respect in this country with, you know, when when he yeah. came over. Yeah, you think about it, like these guys, like for the first one was Briscoe. Yeah. I think he 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 won the title three times. His combined reign was 19 days. It was seven days, seven yeah. days, five days. Once to Briscoe, twice to uh, to Harley Race. But yeah. it's one of these things that, they, you know, they, like these guys come to Japan. They wrestle Baba. They yeah. lose. You know, then they, they make the, you know, do the lap around Japan, come back, and then they win it on their way home. It's yeah. like you know, it's almost like they drop it off for dry cleaning or something like that. But I think it's a combination of, number one, that Baba was. I mean, Bruno absolutely loved Shohai Baba. Uh, right. And he trusted him. And the other thing is, you know, not for anything, but like both Briscoe and right. Harley were yep. again guys you you couldn't mess with. They could take care of themselves. So it yeah. wasn't like you know Baba was going to try to go into business for himself. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, he, and he you was, wonder like, he was wrestling royalty. Giant Baba was wrestling royalty. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was even when he came over here. I remember watching him on TV. There was always presented him with flowers. It was a respect thing. Oh, yeah. But when NWA and all those guys were going to Japan, you knew the titles were getting dropped because it was a respect thing. And it was also because it drew the crowds. Right. They, they loved it. They, of you know, course. They, yeah. The Tokyo Dome, all those places, Japan, all those places packed to the rafters. You, you, um, you, you're, you're getting packed when, when you know, when he's, he's going for the championship. Yeah. And then it's going to be packed when he's defending it. It's, it's great booking. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, everything's accessible to us now. There was no internet back then. Uh, you didn't know this occurred unless you, a wrestling magazine covered it, if they were even flying over to Japan at those, at those times. Um, but you didn't know about it. But the NWA was better than the WWF then because they recognized the championship changes over there. Unlike Anoki beating Backlund and all that stuff, and it's not recognized. At least the NWA recognizes it, so that's pretty cool. You wonder why, like, I mean, Bruno made a, a Japan trip probably every year. You wonder why, and him and Baba were tight. You, yeah. you would have thought he would have dropped it, you know, maybe in like you know, if he's doing a two week tour, dropped yeah. it, and then gave it to him for a couple weeks, beat him in the return engagement, went home with it. But that yeah. never happened. Well, it's funny because I don't know if you guys could see. I have some of the wrestling programs when I first went to the Boston Garden back in 1981 behind me. And they were owned back then by a Japanese organization. There was like a co, a cooperative with wrestling in Japan and WWF and Capital Wrestling Corporation. So there was a connection there. If you could see right there, um, George Steele was the very first. That's from uh, July of 1981. That was my first wrestling match at Boston Garden going to see them. Second one was Backlund in Mosca. And then the third one was October, uh, Andre the Giant, Killer Khan stretcher match. But those programs, they always had the logo. It was like Fukinama or something like that. They were owned by or a cooperative with Capital Wrestling Corporation. So to me, that generated, okay, there's a partnership or a cooperative going on with Japan with this, you know, with the WWF at least. But 
NWA had must have had something going on with them as well. They pro wrestling over there is is a huge, huge deal Absolutely. to Japanese fans. It's unbelievable. So let's fast forward forty six years to twenty nineteen. <laughs> Joanne had, will love this one. Ooh, yeah. so NASCAR driver <laughs> Kyle Busch defeated R Truth to win the the twenty four seven championship. Yep. Uh, he later uh, he he ended up losing it back to uh, to Truth later on in that night. But then again, he might he might as well have dropped it to Rosie O'Donnell in at Panera Bread. Panera Bread. <laughs> you know, Rosie's Panera Bread. Unbelievable! I love their turkey wild rice soup or chicken wild rice soup. Oh, they, they got some! They got some great soups. Yeah, I like the bacon. Tur- I do a bacon turkey Bravo and the uh, the tomato. Oh soup. yeah, the bacon turkey Bravo and the soup. Yeah, yeah. That that NASCAR. I knew when Kyle Busch. He was with Michael. Um, what's Michael's last name? Joe Waltrip. He was with Michael Waltrip, and they were sitting ringside. And Waltrip actually is the one that I think got the referee shirt on and counted a three and declared. Um, Kyle Bush the champion. So that was kind of neat. That was that was crazy. So, and that was like was that down in Charlotte? Was that in North Carolina? Cuz they were down there for racing or something. Something was going on there. They were close by. Yeah, probably in a racing town. Yeah. So, I mean, that was uh again, 24/7 championship. You get anybody and anyone can win it. So, that was I I I say bring that title back. I think it's very entertaining. Absolutely. Especially without truth returning to the WWE. Yes, now. correct. So I think they need to bring it back. Unbelievable stuff there. All so right. on De- December 3rd, 1991, San Antonio, Texas, home of Shawn Michaels, WWE presents uh, this Tuesday in Texas, and they wanted to experiment with a midweek pay-per-view, but based yeah. on the uh, tenants, which was about 8,000, 8, and pay-per-view buys, which was about 140,000, they, they quickly abandoned this experiment. And uh, in this main event, Hulk Hogan pinned The Undertaker, after throwing ashes from Paul Bearer's urn into Taker's face, and always on the spot, WWF Commissioner Jack Tunney declared the title vacant and would be settled at the uh, the Royal Rumble the following month. Right. I love that. WWF Commissioner Jack Tunney. He was always involved in a storyline. You got to love it. Got to love it. Yeah, I didn't, I'll be honest with you. I didn't watch this. I didn't see it. I read about it. I saw it later Same on. Same here. Yeah, I, I did, did not see it. pay-per-view three-hour program, you know, and you have to buy You had to buy those pay-per-views back then. You didn't watch it online or anything like that. You had to buy that. Yeah. That's I, a big investment. For I Tuesday. wanted it. My parents wouldn't let me get it. I was uh, <laughs> I was a kid. Uh, School night, no way. <laughs> unbelievable, unbelievable. All right, so I'm up next. December 3rd, 2000, New York. This was interesting. ECW Massacre on 34th Street. Uh, at the Hammerstein Ballroom at the Manhattan Center in New York City. They announced the attendance was around 2,600. Pay-per-view buys, 390,000. They're saying it's grossly exaggerated. You never know. Um, I don't know if they even counted them like they do back, how they do nowadays. But anyways, uh, the main event saw Steve Carino defeat Jerry Lynn and Justin Credible in a three-way dance um, to retain the ECW World Championship. This was the last ECW pay-per-view before the promotion seized up, believe it or not. Uh, most wrestling experts out there said this was for a, for an ECW show. Kind of so-so. It did lack a lot of excitement. The card was action-packed. They had great matches and so forth, but it lacked that character that ECW had in prior years with uh, the destruction and so forth. Um one thing I noticed that, ironically, this pay-per-view was held at the Hammerstein Ballroom at the Manhattan Center, 
which used to be the home of WWF Monday Night Raw. Right, that's right. So that's kind of neat. And, of course, less than three years later, Vince buys ECW. So I think this might have been the beginning of Paul Heyman and Vince McMahon's partnership. Somewhere along the line, this came together. And, you know, they revived the ECW gimmick in in the WWE and so forth. And, of course, Heyman is introduced to the company and he remains here today. So, um, yeah, this was a huge card for them. Obviously, the Take Massacre on 34th Street was built on, you know, Miracle on 34th Street and so forth. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, one of those pay-per-views where, you know, I did I tried to do some research. I couldn't actually find how many buys they had and so forth. Um, but, nonetheless... ECW always had a strong following. Um, I'll be honest with you. I went to an ECW card only based on the fact that one of my buddies said he stayed up until because they had like a 2 a.m. time slot up in the Northeast. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to watch ECW, they weren't prime time. Or and anything then it like moved that. to midnight. So, yeah, they were like a cult show. I mean, they had a strong following and I had a friend, John Corkery, who had an ECW shirt. I'm like, what's that all about? We ended up going to one of the armories down the street and I got Sabu flying over the top rope, landing on my lap. And I'm like, this is crazy. And Tommy Wildfire Rich shows up, and he's blading himself to death. He's bleeding like mad. And this is like at an armory with probably, I would say, five to 700 people talk. Wow. You know, and it was a cult following. ECW was its own entity. And how that promotion did not last longer, I have no idea. Well, but this pay-per-view Dream was, are all those guys. This pay-per-view was the, one of the reasons ECW went under. This was the one yeah. where he, that Paul you know, was falling behind and paying everybody, and they decided yeah. to withhold the, the the payments from him, and that's what he said right. ultimately cost the uh, cost the company. So this was this yeah. was the, that was this event. Yeah, and of course they were they were the the cutting edge of hardcore wrestling. I mean. One of my guests back in the day was uh, Francine, the queen of ECW. Oh, yeah. And that table bump she took, you know, with Balls Mahoney and all those guys, that was insane. I mean, you never saw a, a girl, a woman scantily clad go through a table. <laughs> and Joey Styles almost lost his voice screaming and yelling, oh, my God. I can hear it ringing in my head, oh, my God. And you didn't see that. You had to watch ECW for that. And that transcended over to – WCW in the WWE and they started getting hardcore and we talked about the hardcore championship and those innovative matches happened. ECW um, was extreme in all aspects and obviously behind the scenes they were extreme as well because like you said Paul Heyman not paying his guys and so forth and the money wasn't there and you know marketing suffers and that's how promotions go under so you know you got to hand it to them they were innovative that company had it going on back then they had a cult following and they lasted what eight years, I think and it was. Do you think this was, would Stone Cold have become Stone Cold if you if the Sandman hadn't been you know yeah. smashing the beers over his head? I mean, you look at yeah. would the, the Hardy Boys would they have been what they became if it weren't for the extreme stuff going yeah. on over in ECW? It really, I mean, go it back. Was, to, yeah, it was. You go back to the early years too. With the uh, Morocco had a run at the ECW Championship, magnificent Morocco at the end of his career, and then you had Jimmy Superfly Sucker. He was champion right. at one time. They were yes, trying to revive that feud. You know, they were they were trendsetters, there's no doubt about it, but they were extreme. It was, yeah, like you said, Bruce, those guys, the Hardy Boys, everybody, they wouldn't probably exist today if it wasn't for ECW. So while we're on the subject of ECW, let's fast forward six years. The WWE presents December to Dismember from the James <laughs> Brown Arena. Only 4,800 people in attendance, and the announced Ouch. pay-per-view of buys was around 90,000, the lowest ever pre-network. 
Wow. Uh, the pay-per-view is regarded as one of the worst pay-per-views in professional wrestling history. Uh, the show won the worst show of 2007 because it was too late to be considered for the 2006 voting. So Wow. Yeah, this was... It was so bad they saved it. So They, they saved the award for them. WWE at this point was on that little bit of a downward spiral. They were trying to transition out of the Attitude Era into that, trying yeah. to re-become PG again. And at this point, I don't know about you guys, this is when I kind of pulled away from wrestling a little bit because there was... I did. There was no, less I did and too. less stuff out there for me. It wasn't geared towards me anymore. Um, right. You know, it, when you look at the, at the car, this was them, you know, Trying to redo ECW, they didn't do when they rebranded ECW. They didn't do it right in the first place. This was just another, another you know, uh, tr- uh, trial that didn't work. Um, yeah. When you look at the the matches, you had Stephen Richards and defeated Rene Dupree. Um, <laughs> uh, this was the the match of the night for me. Would was yeah. the Hardy the Hardy Boys against Eminem. I think Eminem is an, oh, an underrated underrated tag team out there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Balls Mahoney defeated Matt Stryker. Elijah Burke and Sylvester Turkey defeated Little Guido and Tony Mamaluke. Davari, oh the, the, the great Kali, defeated Tommy Dreamer. Kevin Thorne and Ariel defeated Mike Knox and Kelly Kelly. And the main event was yeah. Bobby Lashley in the, winning the Elimination Chamber, defeating Big Show, Test, Rob Van Dam, Hardcore Holly, and CM Punk. Wow. Unbelievable. It sounds like a December not to remember. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Unbelievable. Well, you know, that's where WWF was at that time. It really, it it was, it was going downhill. And, you know, I I would say it's the women are what started the, I don't know. I I think WWF getting back on the momentum and now they're a force to be reckoned with. I I have a feeling it's going to be more and more mainstream this year than we've seen in, in 20 years. Yeah, one a quick story though with uh, WWE merging, you know, doing the ECW gimmick and all that. My interview with the uh, Queen of Extreme, Francine, back in the day, she was talking about how she wasn't being used um, because Vince didn't even know she was signed with the company. She went up to her and introduced herself to him, and finally he's like, "Oh, okay, so we'll have to get you in somewhere." And that's kind of how a lot of the talent was treated then. You know, it, there really was that ECW WWE merger where you know you're trying to combine two organizations together, and it to me it's a confusing pay per view. It's like who's who and what's what. Like you know, what are we watching here? And yeah, December to dismember, not to remember, I guess is what we should be calling it. Yeah, <laughs> December. I don't want to remember. Yeah. I don't even remember this. I mean, I pulled back from WWE at this time. I, mean, I think the stock was going up too, right? They didn't they uh, stock go public and all that. That's when everything had to turn away from the violence and all that. They had to go back to that PG thing and had to be almost say your prayers and eat your vitamins type thing. Yeah. Well, hey, we got through another. Uh, well, we got through our first edition of Wrestling Remembered, but the recently rebranding this week in pro wrestling history. Joe, thank I'm you for coming it. on. It's awesome. Thank you for being here. I can't wait to work with you again next week. Uh, Benny, what a day. What a day. Benny, it's always a pleasure. So uh, what do you guys have to plug before we get on out of here? What a day in Centerville goes live seven o'clock on Facebook, eight o'clock Eastern time. Uh, you can reach me at what a day in Centerville uh, on Facebook and YouTube as well. So tune into that. You might like the intro on this one. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, that's don't forget. That's two night, everybody that two night central time. Benny, what do you got going on there? 
got Dan and Benny in the ring every Tuesday night. Uh, we record at 7 o'clock. It's usually uploaded on uh, Podbean by about uh, 8.30, 9 o'clock, and then on the uh, Monty and the Faro YouTube channel uh, by the following day on Wednesday. And then, you know, the 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 true crime podcast, we, we try to do it every – we're trying to do it like every other Monday. Uh, we oh did uh, – we just did um, Ronald DeFeo, the Amityville Horror, and oh, wow. I – our next episode, which should be fun, is going to be about Tamara Sitch, Sunny. Because oh, I mean, there you go. She's she's a criminal, and it's wrestling. So I mean, and, you know, and, well, the and strike while the iron's hot. Unbelievable! Talk about the downfall. You know, unfortunately, oh, yeah. unfortunately, that story's been played out many times. But she's going to have seventeen more years to think about what's going on with her life and so forth. So and that that's going to be painful. It's painful. A lot of hurt there. A lot of people online are uh, not happy with the verdict, too. They thought she was getting off very easy for what, what happened, what transpired during that night in Fort Lauderdale. So, I, You know, even if she gets out like 10, 12 years, I mean, I'm not really okay with it, but, I mean, that's a lot of time, as long as there's no way she ever gets behind the wheel of a car again. That's Absolutely. something I care well, about. Her license is permanently revoked. So Right, but, I mean, I don't. that hasn't yeah. stopped her in the past. True. That's what I'm worried about, like, like I said, she's got 17 years to think about what, what yeah. happened. Hopefully, so. I mean, hopefully she. Yeah, America does like a good comeback story. She's had several comebacks, but they haven't turned out so well. So we're probably going to have to wait a decade or so to see if she makes a comeback. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you always want to pull for people to do well. I mean, I don't want anything bad. I'd love it if she decided to, uh, you know, become a model citizen. And maybe when she gets out, maybe she does some charity work or something like that to try to, uh, try to redeem to herself. There has to be some redemption there because she is a WWE Hall of Famer and she led that Divas revolution. She introduced us to the world of Divas. So you got to give her credit for that. But everything that else, what's it, 2012 since she's been on a downward spiral. Yeah, so, just a shame. You know? well, let's hope, let's hope, uh, Jim, yeah, those are good. Like I said, America loves a good comeback story. So yep. good luck. So you can right. also catch the three of us tomorrow night on the 30, where we'll, we'll be 30. competing against Phil DeCesare and trying to dethrone him. We're getting him. I'm, I'm going to get him. I'm going <laughs> to get him. I'm, I'm calling. One of, you, one of you guys is going to be the new champion. So yeah, let, let, Let's hope. Let's hope. And uh, next week we're going to have a – this week, uh, Wrestling Remembered, another edition of that, and hopefully we're going to be live so that we can interact in the chat with you guys. So that that should be fun. Yeah. And, uh, you know, got to say, Player, what a day. It's been a, a blast. And, uh, Player, why don't you take thanks. us out, out of here? Thanks for having us. Thank Yeah, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. What a day. Later.